morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put our area code in front of that, 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always love hearing from folks in Baton Rouge and all around this great United States of ours. And beyond. And beyond. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you want to call from, you just give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we are going to talk a little bit about brakes today because okay. we hadn't touched on that in a while and it's a pretty broad topic, but we will discuss anything you might have. Don't ever feel like because we're discussing one particular thing, we won't talk about something else. Right, right. If your turn signals won't work and this happens to be a day, give us a call. Or your transmission is doing something Something goofy. <laughs> they just seem to do that. They do. They do. They seem to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, you just give us a call. We're going to help out and try to point you in the right direction and talk about anything you might want to talk about. Sure. We got till 11 o'clock. Well, about five minutes to 11 today. Go. We got a big old whole hour sitting here. In That's front it. Of us. <laughs> and this is the perfect time to call in. All our lines wide open and we got time to sit and kind of discuss things right. with you. As we get closer to the end of the hour, well, then we got to kind of rush and we don't have near kind of a time. short yeah, short rush to answer. Well, <laughs> bums rush there. <laughs> like I was saying, I, I want to give us breaks a little bit today. And when we say breaks, most people think about brake pads or brake shoes uh-huh. wearing out and that sort of thing. And certainly That's that is, right. well, is one part of a braking system. I'm going to call that the mechanical side of the system. Okay. Now, there are at least two additional sides right. that we're also going to talk about in the second and third part of the show today. And the second part, other than the mechanical side, is the hydraulic side. Right. Which is not totally different. It all interacts, but it is a different side. It is handled differently. It acts differently. The things you have to know to service it are different. Correct. The things you have to know to diagnose it are different. And, of course, the third side is the electrical side, or like the anti-lock braking systems, which on, I guess, more modern cars, you didn't have that 25 years ago, but virtually every car today has some form of either anti-lock or trash control or some electrical uh, paraphernalia that monitors the braking system. Uh-huh. And even though that's not technically the braking system, it does affect the it, braking Right. System. It interacts with the braking. It does. So that will be in the third segment. We'll talk about that okay. just a bit. And I guess the first symptom that most people know, well, I guess the first two symptoms. Okay, yeah. The biggest, pretty common. The biggest two symptoms that we see with brakes is, number one, noise. Right. And number two, a shudder when you apply your brakes. In other words, you, you hit the brakes moderately hard. And the steering wheel starts shaking back and forth in your hand or the car starts surging as it's trying to stop. That's right. And there are causes for those. And what most people look at is they once they start checking, say, well, the rotors are warped. So what we're going to do is put another set of rotors on. Correct. And that will effectively treat the symptom. Right. And that's the key word. That is a symptom. That's right. If you don't address the cause, why did this occur in the first place, then it is going to likely recur. Sure. Now, there are some vehicles out that are just designed poorly. Right. It's just an inherent, they warp rotors, and that's just the way it well, was designed. Well, the, the Ford F-150 pickup is a notorious example of that. And Ford has, I don't know how many renditions. They have a 5-lug, they have a 6-lug, a 7-lug, 12-millimeter stud, 14-millimeter studs, and all of those. Right. Two-wheel and four-wheel ABS. So they have several different systems. But some of those just inherently warp the front rotors. Mm -hmm. And you can replace all the rotors. You can do everything in the world. And it will go away, and it will stay away for a while. But it's going to come back. It's going to eventually come back. And particularly if you are a little rough on your brakes, or you are the kind of person who waits to the last minute to stop, 
you chow down on that pedal and it comes to a stop. It will do it, but it's going to build a lot more heat, which is going to warp the rotors. Sure. If you have got a vehicle like that, you're probably going to live with brake shutter. And I'm not saying it could not be fixed, but you would have to redesign the truck. I recall, I don't remember what year it was, but there was, I think it was a Ford product, if I'm not mistaken, okay. that had a problem and they decided they were going to fix this problem. And they came out with revised spindles, oh, calipers, yeah. rack and pinion, rack and pinion everything. Bushes. Right. I mean, they basically redesigned the whole front of the truck. Virtually it's a $5,000 fix for a $300 problem. <laughs> <laughs> so not a whole lot of people went for it, unless it was under warranty of some uh-huh. sort. Toyota on some of the earlier Tundras had the same right. issue. And again, if it were under warranty, you might elect to have this done. Obviously, if you can get it done for free, it, it's mm-hmm. a no-brainer. But if you got to cough up, Two, three thousand dollars to solve the problem. It may be easier just to treat the symptom. Correct. In this particular case. Now, that aside, all the other vehicles that do not just normally warp rotors, if yours has warped the rotors, few things that you want to first look at before you just go throw another set of rotors on. Number one, I guess, is what kind of brake pad material is being used. Right. Are you using the OEM materials mm-hmm. or are you using some kind of aftermarket material? Because what we have found is that the OEM material is generally much easier on the rotors. Right. We have far, far less problems with brake rotors warping when you use the original equipment brake pad. When you go to the aftermarket stuff, many times it's a universal type pad. There's one pad fits a Toyota Camry. It fits not one pad, but one, one material. material. Right. They just take and stamp the different pads out for the different applications That's out right. of the same material. And it's a Chevy pickup or Ford pickup or if it's a SUV or it's a Camry or it's a Toyota or it's a Honda, it all gets basically the same material. It does. And when the OEM designs a material, they design it specifically for a certain application. Yeah, application. Uh-huh. Such, so much friction, so much this, so much heat build take so much heat out of it. That's why the OEM pads are generally more expensive. Now, I say generally because sometimes they're pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. They're kind of they in line with the, with the aftermarket stuff. But that is one reason you will have less problem if you use the OEM pad. Now, another thing is the way the pads are installed. And what I mean by that is on most vehicles, you're going to have a caliper that's going to have one or two pistons on one side, which is going to apply the pad. There's also a pad on the other side of the caliper without a piston. Mm-hmm. Now, what has to happen is that when that piston extends out, it has to push the pad against the rotor. The force of application is going to cause the caliper to slide over and apply the other side. Correct. Now, that has to move freely, and it works on what they call caliper slides. These are either pins or grooves or something to that nature, and those have to be lubricated. Most of them are pins with either a rubber bushing or a, a nylon slot. I know Ford used to use that nylon slot on a metal mm-hmm. pin. Most of your manufacturers have gone to just a metal pin with a, like a, a round rubber end on it. Right. That does the work. And what happens with those, if they're not kept clean, if they're not kept lubricated, they will bind up and they will stop moving. And we've had some, we, you have to take the caliper off the vehicle and change the component right. that the slide runs in because it's froze not allowing the caliper to move. It and then will you seize. Will, yeah, you will get a pad more worn on one side than the other because the caliper is not moving like it should. And more times than not, you'll also get a warp brake rotor because what's happening is it's pushing against one side of the rotor without a corresponding balancing force on the other side of the rotor. So that constant application to one side or heavier application to one side can also cause the rotors to warp. And if it does, if it should happen to move that caliper and apply that outside pad right. and then not slide back correct the correct amount, 
that pad is constantly building heat on that rotor as the vehicle goes down the road. Well, you make a good point because there's two situations that can exist. On light braking, what's going to happen is the inboard pad is going to do all the stopping sure. because the caliper bracket is not going to slide over. On heavy enough braking, you're putting hydraulic force down. You've got you, between 1,200 and 2,000 pounds of clamping force. Right. You're going to move that slide. You may move the slide, but it's not going to release now. Exactly. So it's going to stay applied on the outboard, which is going to sit there and build a lot of friction, build a lot of heat, walk the, the rotor, rotor, maybe crack the rotors, discolor the rotors, heat spot the rotors. I've seen the rotors worn down to the, the face was gone and nothing but the fins were on the outside. That's right. In a long enough period, it will do it. It will definitely do it because it's sitting there constantly grinding away at it. And where those pins attach to the car, there's generally a little boot of some sort. It looks like a little bellows. Uh-huh. Those are extremely important. They are. When you're doing the brakes, you always inspect those because when that boot ruptures, comes off, dry rots. Now, when you drive through the rain, water gets in here. Correct. Now, we've got generally a cast iron bracket with a steel pin, so we have dissimilar metals. If we put moisture on that, we've got a battery, and it's going to start corroding and the corrosion is going to eat up the grease. It's going to emulsify the grease. The grease is going to run out. Grit and right. grime is going to get into it. And all of a sudden, you got stuck calipers. Now you're going to start to have uneven pad wear, very rapid pad wear, possibly a pull one way or the other on braking, uh-huh. warped rotors, and on and on and on and it goes. Right, just from a little slide pin. Well, just a little rubber boot on the slide that's pin. That's right. All those symptoms. Yeah, and it's because folks who do the brakes a lot of times, even shops, do not inspect this stuff. Maybe they don't understand how it all works, but they go in, they throw a set of pads on it, and out it goes, and then very quickly it's, it's back. back again with all the same problems. And the main reason is because of these little caliper slide pins. Right. We're going to talk some more about that and a lot more as soon as we get back on the automotive. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Oh, 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And why don't you give us a call if you have any questions about your car or automotive-related topic. That's right. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We'll entertain just about any automotive-related question this morning. There you go. We always appreciate hearing from folks. It makes our hour go by a whole lot faster, and I think makes it just a lot more interesting. That's it. Get a little bit more information out there. There you go. Go ahead and give us a call. 291-6901 is the number. Put you right straight up to us. We were talking about brakes. Right. Stuff. Mechanical side. That's right. Mechanical side of the brakes. 
And when folks go to, let's say a guy has never done, or gal has never done breaks before. Next okay. Car, and people say, well, it's pretty easy. So they watch it here, watch it there on the Internet maybe. Go in, they pull the wheel off, and they figure out how to get the caliper off. And if they are listening to us, they probably inspect those little slide boots, make sure all that's intact, take right. that apart, lubricate it, put it all back together. Now, when now, they go to put the pads into the caliper okay. and put the caliper back on rotor, what are they going to notice right off the bat? That they don't fit. That's right. <laughs> the, the piston has extended out of the caliper bore, which is what it is designed to, designed do. to do. That's the way it takes up the wear from the brake pad. Mm-hmm. As the pads wear, they get smaller. The piston comes out farther and farther to take the gap up to That's make right. them work until you get the materials wore out. Then you have to change the materials. Well, the new material is going to come probably anywhere from... Usually 10 to 11 millimeters thick. At least. Yeah. At least. I was thinking American measurements there, but uh, <laughs> we'll go with metrics. There you go. And first thing you do is when you put those on there, now you're 20 millimeters. Right. And the piston is already out past that. That's so, right. So now you have to retract the piston. Mm-hmm. There Which is, can be very problematic. It very well can. There is a certain procedure to do this. If you do it wrong, you're causing yourself a whole lot of grief down the road. Well, what happens is that because this is a hydraulic system, it's open to the same fluid throughout the entire system. Now, we have a certain amount of wire, grit, grime, copper, debris, rubber, that's going to always accumulate in this fluid from all the parts that we're in the system. Sure. Now, those aren't going to just sit in the fluid. They're heavier than the fluid is, so they're going to descend down through the fluid. Right. They're going to migrate down to the lowest point. The lowest point in the system. Now, when you push the brake pedal, the fluid squishes out. When you let it go, it comes back. And the debris tends to do the same thing, but to a lesser degree, because when it starts heading out towards those calipers, it's heavier than the fluid. So when the fluid comes back, it doesn't come all the way back. It comes back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Eventually, all of the debris is going to find its way into the calipers. The reason being it's heavier than anything else. And that's so the lowest point. It's the lowest point. So all of this debris is going to collect in those calipers. Now, where we're going with this is if you take and squish the pistons back in, what you've done a very effective job of is back flushing all of this trash and debris Right back up the line. Right through the system. Right back to the master cylinder. Well, or through the ABS unit. Which is even worse. Which can cause it to bind up, stick, the valves malfunction mm-hmm. and all that. So you have to retract the pistons, but there's two ways that you can go about doing it, depending on what you want to achieve and how you want to do it. Right. What we find best is to go ahead and flush the entire system out before you begin. So you've got clean fluid and you've already de- flushed all the debris out. Right. But what you can alternately do, as some people find easier, is if you open the bleeder screw and put a rubber hose on it and put it in a container, push the piston in, then the old fluid will be expelled, especially if you push it in slowly enough. You don't want to just squeeze it in real fast. Right, because it will back up the line if you squeeze it in real fast. If you start to build pressure at that little orifice, then it's going to back up through the system, and you're going to have the same exact problem. So if you open the bleeder screw, slowly push the piston in, you're going to see some really nasty fluid oh, yeah. out of the system. Oh, you wouldn't believe the, the nasty stuff that comes and out of that you caliper. you are avoiding pushing that right back up into the ABS unit and into the master cylinder and into all the other hydraulic components in the car because hydraulics have one main rule, and that is they have to be clean. Right. They will always work as long as they are as long clean. As it's clean. Almost all of the problems with hydraulics come from debris in the system. So that's one real quick little tip. We're going to our phone lines with John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Good morning. Listen, I'm a Chevy man, diehard, but my wife drives a Toyota RAV4. Okay. 
And it's an 07 model. It's the sport model with the bigger tires and rims and stuff in that nature. V6. Mm-hmm. Runs like a scalded dog. But yeah. anyway, I got in it last night and was driving it. First time in a long time. And I noticed when I accelerated kind of hard, I got a vibration in the drivetrain. Okay. And it and also, I, you know, like I said, I haven't driven it in a while. She mm-hmm. said, oh, it feels a little funny. But at speed, at about 70 on the interstate, I also get a, a vibration. And, I, and I'm thinking it may be tires, but... I feel the vibration when I accelerate real uh-huh. hard come yes, up sir. through the steering wheel. Yes, sir. How many miles you got on it, John? About 170. Okay, high mileage. So what I would suspect first, because this is pretty common at that mileage, is the inner CV joints are going to have some wear in them. And ah, okay. The boot may or may not be busted, but those joints will wear, and it wears little grooves in that tripod where they slide in and out. When right, you accelerate, right. it wants to move into those grooves, which puts the axle off-center, and you're going to get that characteristic vibration under load. When you let off or stick it neutral, it'll be gone. And right, right. another way you can see if that's the same problem that you got at 70 miles an hour is get it up a little bit above 70, kick it neutral, let it coast back down through 70. If the vibration is not there, then most likely that's the whole problem. If you still got some vibration there, you could have two different problems because a tire could certainly shake at 70 miles an hour. But the tire will shake whether it's in neutral or not when it hits the speed range. So exactly, if you yeah. get up to that speed, kick it neutral, coast back down, vibration is still there, you probably got two different problems. Vibration gone, I would look at those inner CV joints real, real hard because almost every time we see that problem, that's what it is. Can I remove the boot or slide the boot back and just by hand move them back and forth like you would do a ball joint? I mean, you could, but it's not really worth it. It's not worth it. They're pretty inexpensive for remanufactured okay. joints. And at you. that mileage... Most likely, you're going to have at least one busted boot or two right. busted boots. The outer boots may already be busted. They have a special clamp on them, too. you got to have a special pair of pliers to reclamp right. them, the special clamp to put special back grease. on them. It's really right. it's nasty, really it nasty pain. It is. I really hate messing with them. I was glad when we started using the rebuilt stuff. Right. You can buy a <laughs> remanufactured joint, complete, complete assembly, for probably $80. And, and oh, oh. a pretty decent one at that. And now, it takes you maybe an hour to change it. So What you want to yeah. do is... Well, st- what you want to do is stay away from the new ones. Yeah, do the not, new ones are not near what the rebuilt ones right. are right now. Really? Yeah. Really? When, when you go to a yeah. bar store, they go say, "Well, we got a rebuilt one for eighty dollars, and we got a new one for a hundred. And yeah. everybody's, "Oh, well, oh, give a new, a new one. one." No, yeah. no, no. That's a Chinese knockoff. Okay. In our experience, right. they're absolute junk. When you get a reman, okay. you're getting an original Toyota part that's re- been remanufactured. Exactly. So you yeah, I do get, body work. I yeah. do body work okay. for a living, so I, I you play understand. With <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get a much uh, better component. Yeah, you were talking about that those clamps, man. I actually have a, a very good tool that reclamps them, but good. you can't reuse them. I mean, it's no, 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 you can't reuse them at all, and they're hard to clamp. find, and they're hard to put on. You could pinch them. Yeah, it's really yeah. for the price of the axles. It's just not really worth it. And right. even if you get it apart, it's still going to be worn. So you got to do something there. And then you now, got all that grease out. You know, right. it's just that stuff is right. a mess. One other thing, John, that I usually recommend to folks, especially with higher mileage, is a seal right where that CV joint goes into the transaxle. Go to Toyota and buy a couple of those seals. And go ahead and okay. pop, pop the seal out and put a new seal there because what happens very often, that's an old hard seal that's been running one position for 170,000 miles. You right. pull it out, you put a new axle, they'll start to leak. And then you got to take it all back apart again to do it. Right. They're about right. $12 well, a piece yeah. and takes an extra 10 minutes to change them. So we usually change those two seals while we're in there. I'm not sure if that RAV4 has a half shaft on it. Some of, the, um, some of them had a half shaft on one side. Yeah, if you have yeah. that, you don't have to worry about the axle. Right. So you'll just take off the outer half of the axle and change it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it just bolts up on that outer half. That's huh? right. Right. Yeah, but that's you're talking about the seal that just fits right inside the transmission. Yeah, right, right inside. It's called a transaxle seal or a drive axle seal or something <laughs> to that effect. Toyota know what you're talking about.
All right, sounds good. Well, listen, man, I'll listen to you guys every Saturday. Oh, Thanks so much for the info. Good. Sure. Thanks, Colin, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, if you got a vibrating Toyota or whatever you might have. That's you right. Out, we're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking about hydraulic systems. And the good thing about hydraulics as opposed to, say, electronics okay. is that hydraulics are physics. Right. They're always gonna going work to work in this one manner. Way. Right. Now, that can be very, very handy when you start to try to diagnose problems because you can have certain problems with Hydraulics. We get a lot of email where folks will say, my brake pedal is low. Okay. And I've changed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Okay, well, stop right there. You don't need to change anything. You can diagnose this with very simple tools. You can diagnose any problem on a hydraulic system because it's always going to follow the same pathway. Correct. And when let's say you have a low brake pedal. The very first thing you want to do is go in and isolate which wheel or wheels, or is it a wheel that's causing the problem. Uh-huh. Now, they sell... Line block off tools. Some are like a pair of pliers with rounded jaws that won't damage the hose. Some are like a little clamp. But you need those to do the job. Right. You want to stay away from the square cut jaws, right. things don't, like that. Don't take a pair of vice grips and clamp down that hose. Right. You will damage it. You'll damage it, particularly if it's an older hose. But what you do instead is you block off all four of the wheels and go and check the pedal. Now, if the pedal is now rock hard, we know the problem is at one of the wheels. Right. We've it's isolated. It's a simple matter of start removing the clamps one at a time and see when the pedal drops. Right. Now we know which wheel is causing the problem. Now, if with all the wheels blocked off, the pedal is still low. Now okay. we know we either into the master cylinder or the ABS unit because right. we've isolated all the wheels. They're no longer in the system. So the pedal is still low. We've either got air or we have a defective part. So with that one little simple test that anybody can do, you can avoid changing this, changing that, hoping to fix something. Exactly. And you can go right to the problem. We're going to talk more about that in just a bit. We're going back to our phone lines with Aaron. Good morning, Aaron. Hi, how are you? Doing good. Good morning. I have a 2004 Subaru Rodeo, a manual engine, and it's tied up for a couple of months where I didn't drive it very often, and now that I'm driving it more, it's like the starter seems to be sticking a little bit. Is it just because... What does that mean, Aaron? Well, what exactly is it doing? Key, uh-huh. When I turn the key, it goes, instead of going, turn the key, crank, right. it'll turn the key and go, rah, 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 and then crank. Okay, so you got a slow start. Yeah. Oh, okay, and it's not starting right away. Right. It, right. But it's cranking over. Right. Oh, most of the time... Where I would start with that, Aaron, is to have someone check the fuel pressure on the vehicle. Because okay. what happens in order to start, you gotta have about four different things. Number one is you gotta have a spark. Number two is you gotta have fuel. Number three is you have to have compression. And number four is you have to have timing. Well, if you didn't have a spark, it probably wouldn't start at all. And if you didn't have timing, it wouldn't start at all. If you didn't have compression, it probably wouldn't start at all. So that leads us back to fuel. Most of the time, that's gonna be a fuel related problem. What happens, the fuel pump is all the way in the back inside the fuel tank. And it has to push fuel all the way forward to the injectors before the car is going to start. Now, what happens is that when you turn the key off, the weight of the fuel wants to return to the tank. Because the tank is the lowest point. Right. There's a little valve inside that pump that closes, that holds the fuel in the rail. Now, when you turn the key to on before you start to crank, the pump runs for a second or two, which pushes and charges up the rail, then the car starts. Now, if the fuel has run back into the tank, what will happen is you turn the key on 
and it'll push it part away, but it doesn't get all the way to the injector. So it'll crank, 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 crank. You turn it off and you start again. Well, now you're cycling the pump again. So this time it gets it all the way up there, so it goes ahead and starts. Now, one way you can kind of verify that without even a test is next time you go to start it, instead of just turning the key all the way to start, turn it all the way to on, and there's the last position before it cranks, and just turn it off. Do that again two or three times. And then when you crank it, if it starts right up, that's most likely going to be the problem. Because it's running the pump each time and it's charging that fuel rail. See, what could have happened, we have ethanol in our fuel. And if a car sits for three or four months, that ethanol is going to go through what they call phase separation, which will start attacking the fuel pump. Mm -hmm. So you'll end up with a lot, a lot, a lot of fuel pump problems in vehicles that have been sitting. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alright, 291-6901 is the number. You want to call the Automotive Hour? We would love to have you. We'll take one more quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi folks, Louis Alvazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business and man, I can't believe all the calls we received from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. Hey, Lewis, James Hill, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good, homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us calls? 291-6901. And we're going to our phone lines with Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Louis. First off, I want to say I love your show. Well, thank you. And secondly, I have a 2008 Toyota Highlander. Okay. And I'd like to know if you... You see a lot of transmission problems with that vehicle because here's what I have. The original transmission failed just within the warranty period. Okay. So they replaced the transmission with a remanufactured transmission. Mm-hmm. Dealer did that. Yes, sir. And then now this one has failed with about 14,000 miles on it. Wow. Yeah, you're still in the warranty? Well, Toyota's fighting me on that. Yeah, man. So I want to know. What is your suggestion? I have not uh, seen a tremendous amount of problems with that. My thought would be that they're probably not addressing the original problem. For that unit to fail that early, I would say there's something else going on because Toyota doesn't have a lot of transmission issues. And I'm getting a whole, whole bunch of static in the background, so I'll put you on hold if you don't mind. I would say they're probably overlooking something. It could be that they've got a restriction in the cooler circuit, which goes to the radiator. That could be the problem why the first one failed. It could also be that there's a software update or a software problem or a wiring problem that's not allowing the clutches to be fully applied. We have run across some of that on Toyota where they had too soft of a strategy on the shifting and it allowed clutches to slip too much, and they come out with updates for those sorts of things. Now, 
clearly to any kind of a wiring issue, like being a loose wire or any work that was done on a car and maybe a ground was left off, can do things like it can lower pressure going to the clutches, which will burn the transmission up pretty fast. It could also be that it's applying two clutches at the same time. It was not fully releasing one. They're getting some transient current on some of the solenoids, and it's keeping a clutch partially applied, which, again, is going to pretty quickly damage the uh, transmission. So I think what I would do is go back, number one, if it's been less than a year, most Toyota transmissions are one-year unlimited mileage. So if it's been more than a year and more than 12,000 miles, then you may have a little bit of an argument on your hands. But certainly, if the first one went out in the warranty and this one only lasted 14,000 miles, you got a pretty good point there. I'd go back and try to see the service manager and discuss that with him. If he won't do anything, I would call Toyota's zone office and actually speak to a zone manager because I think you could probably get something done about that. But my suspicion is there's some other problem that's taking these transmissions out that they're overlooking. So you right. just got to get them put somebody else on it that can do a little better job of checking it. And I hope that fully answered the question for you. If not, you can send me an email, and I'll talk to you about it just a bit more. All right, we're going back to our phone lines. Joe, good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. I have a 2003 Honda CRV. Uh-huh. The cruise button engages it on the dash with a green light. When it's engaged, the green light is on. Okay. Well, when you're driving down the road, all of a sudden the green light goes out on the switch, and the car starts to feel like it's missing, and the cruise turns off. Well, if it's got any kind of a misfire, Joe, it's going to probably disable the cruise. Okay. Anytime the computer sees something wrong, the first thing it's going to do is disable the cruise. Now, a number of things can do that. For instance, if it, and I'm not saying yours is doing this, but if it sees the car starting to overheat, it may disable a cruise. If it sees a misfire, it may disable a cruise. If it sees an error in the anti-lock brake system that interfaces with it, it may disable a cruise. So I would say most likely you find the misfire or the cause of the misfire and you'll fix the cruise problem. I wouldn't really go after the cruise problem. I would go after that misfire. And if it's truly a misfire, then it should set a code if how often does it occur, Joe? Every time you set it. Okay. Well, good. Okay. If it happens real frequently, what you can do is someone can attach a Honda scan tool, put it in mode six, and they can watch every cylinder firing. Then they can just drive the car, and they can see if one cylinder's missing, or if it's all six cylinders missing, or all four cylinders missing, depending on what you have. And the diagnosis is going to be based on whether it's a single-cylinder misfire or multiple-cylinder misfire. Single-cylinder, we're looking for something like a bad call, maybe a bad, bad plug, plug, bad injector, or something like that. Something common to that one cylinder. Correct. If it's all those cylinders misfire, we're looking like a bad airflow meter, vacuum possibly leak. a vacuum leak, maybe right. an EGR valve sticking open, a plug, something like that. So when you can see what is actually occurring then you're going to know. And I think that most likely if you can fix the running problem, you're going to fix the cruise problem. Right. I, and I'm, it's remotely possible it's two separate issues, but not very likely. Yeah, well, in other words, I probably can't do all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing you might be able to do, Joe, is if you haven't done a quote-unquote tune-up in a while at the plugs and all, or you could go in, you can go in and replace the plugs and see if you can fix it, but... Again, yeah. if that needs doing anyway, you're not losing anything. There's a small possibility you could help the problem, but most likely you're just kind of shooting in the dark. Okay, I got another question. All right, go ahead. I got a 2005 Envoy does the same thing with my crew. You set it, it'll start cutting out. Yeah, the same misfire type scenario? 
Yeah. It, what are you it, doing you know, in these cars? Man? I was just going to say, <laughs> this has got to be you. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's got to be you, Joe. It'll, it'll, it'll run, you know, yeah. 10 to 15 miles engaged, and then all of a sudden it'll just cut out. Yeah, I would I say. Did, I did change the front wheel bearings on that. Yeah. And they got those sensors, ABS. Right, but correct. But that be anything? I mean, it could. Yes, not sir. getting a light or anything. Not getting ABS light. I mean, was, I would go in again, start with mode six, see if there is a misfire, and then if not, go in and look at what all the sensors are seeing when the cruise disengages. There was something with those wheel speed sensors back a few years ago. I say a few years ago, mm-hmm. probably six, seven years ago now. They would engage, ABS would engage right at a, a slow stop, and it wouldn't set a light because it thought it, it, was it, thought it was normal. And that may be what's going on here. It's seeing a, it's not seeing. The wheel's spinning like it's supposed to. Yeah, and that's going to set, it's going to cut gonna the cruise, the cruise, off, cruise sure. out. And there may even be a flash update or something like that, like an update to the software of the computer. So I would get that to someone, let them check, see what codes, if any, are stored. Put a tool on where you can watch the cylinders, make sure we don't have a misfire. We could watch the speed sensor, see yep. if one's dropping out. See, these are the kind of things you're just not going to be able to do at home. And all you can do is go in and start throwing parts at it. I mean, a lot of that stuff is a hundred, two hundred dollars a part, so you're gonna run out of money pretty fast. And you may not even, you may not, may not even, even run across the problem. Yeah, could be a wiring issue. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Could it be the brake switch? It could be anything. It's possible if the brake switch is erratic and it thinks you're applying the brakes, it could cause that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think I just. Yeah, that's not going to be a very hard diagnosis. The key to those sorts of problems is that if it acts up while we got it in the shop with a tool on, we can find it real fast. Now, if it does it once every three months, well, they'll find it almost nil. But if it happens regular where we can attach equipment to it and watch the sensors, see what each sensor is seeing when it occurs, then we can probably go to that pretty fast. Okay, well, I'll call Megan a flame on Monday. There you go. Sounds great. Okay, man. All right, Joe. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take our final quick little break, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more in the automotive hour. Hey, Lewis Alvesan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate forty years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm into cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you with the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon! Where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Aldersland, President of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call at 291-6901. We're talking about brake systems and repairing and diagnosing brake systems today, but we'll talk about any topic you might have. Just for the calls and the break, we 
we're talking about diagnosing a low pedal and right. that sort of thing. Now, there's another scenario that we see fairly frequently, particularly on higher mileage cars, and that is where you put your foot on the brake pedal, and it just kind of slowly sinks under your foot. Okay. You pump it, and it comes back up. And then it starts sinking slowly out again. Sinking again. Right. We usually run into that. That is most likely going to be a master cylinder that is bypassing or something in the hydraulic system that is bypassing. Right. The ABS valve can do the same right. thing. Right, and it feels just like a master. I know back in when, when they had the Chevy trucks with the two-wall mm-hmm. anti-lock brakes on, which was the rear wheels anti-lock brakes, right. the little reservoir that controlled the rear anti-lock brakes would leak just like a master cylinder. Right. And I've seen several master cylinders change and still have the same problem. People would feel the sensation, and because they were used to changing a mouse cylinder when they saw that, it would change the mouse cylinder, and, of course, it would still have the same exact problem. Exactly. And GM came out and drilled a little hole in the end of that R-wall valve where you could put a, a, a object in there and you could feel the piston move uh-huh. so that if you press the brake pedal and you felt the piston move, you could diagnose it more easily. Right. And that was on some of the later models. The early ones didn't have that. It was a sealed-up unit. You couldn't detect it, it, it that way. Exactly. But a lot of times that is the brake master cylinder, and the way you would have to do that is you have to isolate the master cylinder, which generally means you're going to have to have some type of a plug where you can plug the two lines off. Right. The pedal still drops out. Then, then you, you know, know it's for sure master. it's in the master cylinder. If it doesn't, if it gets rock hard when you do that, then it's more likely in the ABS. System. Exactly, but you have to break the hydraulic system open to do that right. test. It's not an easy test for just go out there to do, do it like, yourself, like right. some of the other tests. Do. Going back to our phones, Stephen, good morning, Stephen. Hey, uh, Lewis, I had to call in. I love that commercial you guys are running with the impersonations of people calling in. Okay. Oh, yeah. That made my morning. That was just so funny. Well, like, my cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was just so well done. I, I just had to call in and give a big uh, thumbs up for well, that. Well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, Jeff English from Creative English does all our commercials for us. Does an absolutely wonderful job. He does some really creative work for us. Yeah, okay. That's all, right. all I got. All right, no thanks, no more problems right now. Oh, good. all fixed up already. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to follow the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Yeah, those commercials have won several Addy Awards oh, yeah. in the Baton Rouge area, so just doing it just does a oh, really, does really good job. wonderful job. I don't know where he comes up with some of this stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but he does. He does. Does <laughs> a great job. As long as he does, then that's all that really matters. That's but, it. Uh, I like the way they're generally clever. They get the message across, but they're kind of humorous kind of humor, as well. Right. So not just the... Oh, yeah, 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 commercials. Yeah, somebody <laughs> hollering and screaming at you and running two minutes worth of words in like three seconds, you know, at the end of the commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. can't stand that. Yeah, with all the disclaimers and stuff <laughs> right. right there at the end of the commercial. Yeah, those are, those are aggravating. Tend to be very, very aggravating. <laughs> we were talking about brakes uh-huh. and brake systems and all that sort of thing. And I want to touch just before we get out on the anti-lock braking system because uh-huh. it's a pretty misunderstood system for the most part. Anti-lock brakes, even though it says brakes, are not technically the brakes themselves. Right. It's, it's a system that's monitoring the brakes. It's add-on system. If the ABS went out completely, you would still have the traditional hydraulic brake system to stop the vehicle. That's correct. And that works by a series of sensors, which senses the wheel speed. It knows how fast a wheel can slow down without locking up. And if the wheel locks up, then it blocks the pressure from the brake to the wheel to allow the wheel to speed back up. Correct. Which helps you maintain control of the vehicle. It doesn't make you stop faster, but it helps you to maintain steering because you don't have a locked up wheel. We're going to our phone lines. Willie, good morning, Willie. Hey. Yes, sir. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, man. Hey, I had a little problem with my car. I got a 2010 Ford Taurus mm-hmm. show. And when we go on down the road, it kind of cuts out. Wonder what kind of problem do you think that is? 
I got to tell you, Willie, the most common thing we see on that car and that engine is a bad ignition coil. And there's probably uh, six calls on it. It's going to be one of the six, maybe two of the six, who knows. But to find it, you have to have, or it makes it much easier if you have what they call a Ford IDS, which is a scan tool that we have that Ford makes. We can put it on, put it in mode six. We can see which cylinder is misfiring. Now, if you don't have anything like that, you might see if you can run the codes and see if there's a single cylinder misfire like P0303 or P0304. If so, take the call off cylinder three and move it to, say, number five, and take the one off number five, move it to number three. Go drive it again, check the codes again. If the misfire moves to cylinder five, well, then you know it's a call, so you can change that call. So that's kind of a way you can do it yourself without an IDS. But with the tool, you can see the cylinders misfiring. It makes it a lot easier because when they start misfiring, they may or may not actually set a code. They may not set the code because it has to misfire a certain number of times in a certain RPM range before Ford will set a code. So you can have a significant number of misfires without a code. Okay, okay. But that's most of the time that's the problem we see. That's the most common thing. Okay, I so appreciate it. All righty. Thanks for calling, man. All right, you have a good one. Yes, sir. Thank you. And we're going to try to grab another line here before we run out of time. Right. we got Paul on the line. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Yes, I just want to get your take on something. In the news lately, we've been hearing about these hackers yes, sir. tying into cars. Well, mm-hmm. your take? Can that happen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If the car is tied to the Internet, which some of the newer cars are, then it's totally possible they can hack in and get into the systems. That's one reason I don't like <laughs> all those new features, because they come with all kinds of problems and stuff. Another thing, if you have OnStar on your car, on a GM car, I've never heard of anyone hacking OnStar, but... Technically, it's the same. It operates issue. the same the, way, the, yeah. The first thing I did when I bought my Buick is took that little antenna off and threw it in the glove box. <laughs> because I don't want them to communicate with my car. Well, see, All right. they already have communication with the car from OnStar to the vehicle itself because they can unlock the doors and, right. and things like that. So there is a directional communication All they there. have to do is someone has to intercept that signal. Right. And, and then, then it's they're all in, over. They're, they're, they're in the operating system of your car, just yeah. like any computer that's hooked to the Internet is vulnerable. Any to the Internet is vulnerable. Now, the older cars that didn't connect to the Internet, yeah. clearly no issue. Right. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. It is. I, I, I never like that stuff. I never like all that. I mean, do you really need to use the Internet in your car? I know. Really? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You're trying to get point A to point B. You know, do you really need the Internet? <laughs> so. All right. I know what you mean. Okay. Appreciate you. All right, man. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to part of the automotive iron, I see we're just about out of time. Just quickly recapping on the ABS system, the way it's working, it's watching all of the wheels. When one wheel starts to lose speed, it's going to assume that wheel is locked up. Correct. So it's going to block the pressure to the wheel and release the pressure on the wheel, which allows the speed of the wheel to come back up. And most systems can do that about 20 times a second. Right. So it's a very, very rapid thing. And the second the speed goes back, it's going to release all control, and it's going to start watching it again. Now, when you're driving along and this computer is sitting watching these sensors, it's doing virtually nothing at all until you apply the brakes. When you hit the brake, it sees that pedal application. That's when it's going to start going in, monitoring all this stuff. If it sees one or more wheels locked up by a reduction of speed before it should have, then it's going to go ahead and go and do its thing. Now, it's not going to make the car stop faster. It's not going to make it stop better. What it's going to do is help you to maintain steering control. Right, because a wheel that is locked up is sliding. That's and right. a sliding wheel is very hard to control. Well, if you turn the steering wheel and your wheels are sliding, it's you just going to keep going, going. Sliding right on in the same direction. Right. So, but if you have a wheel that is locking and unlocking, you start getting some control back. That's right. Because that wheel is not sliding anymore. It's turning again, which gives you the traction back 
when it turns so you can maintain control. Well, and before we had any like brakes, what professional drivers do is they pump the brake pedal. I remember doing that forever. Yeah, they just, if the car locked up, they yeah. started pumping the brake pedal. They were still stopping, but they were releasing the wheel enough to where it was catch, 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 so they could make their turn. Make, make the control. And all that ABS did is just came along and does it for you. Does it for you automatically, right. which is kind of a nice feature, but it is. One problem we have, particularly in South Louisiana, is we don't have a lot of ice and snow on the roads. So that system sits totally idle. 99.99% of the time. Exactly. And all the valves and all tend to stick, and when they do, you end up with a great big repair bill on your hands. So that's why flushing the brake fluid out is a big, important thing, particularly on those type cars. And we're going to talk more about that next week. we got to get on out of here, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite rebroadcast service, see if they have a portion for a written rating, and please give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate those written ratings. Move us up so more people can hear us and get the word, get the word out. There you go. <laughs> opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.